The Safety Doc Podcast is in part brought to you by Sprigio.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Safety Doc Podcast. Uh, I am David Broden, your host, and this is podcast number two. Uh, I had a great turnout for the first podcast. We had over 50 views on YouTube and had a number of listens and four uh, subscribers on SoundCloud, and I will be making SoundCloud a paid account, um, so that'll have more features available, and I'll be able maybe to update um, and include some specials about school safety and, and things like that. So we are off and running here with the Safety Doc, and I'm glad to be doing our Week 2 podcast. Just a review of how this podcast will operate. I'm, I'm looking for about 30 to 40 minutes. I consider myself to be a school safety expert, but also a personal safety expert. I have a PhD from UW-Madison, did my dissertation comparing safety, high-stakes decision-making in the military, healthcare, and the education setting. And uh, I've done a number of things with safety, continue to work in that role. Um, but we will start out with a little anecdote from me to kind of get things going, and then some interesting um, data regarding safety, either some facts or, or something else that I've gleaned from research or from specific uh, books that I that I read that are safety related. After that, we will feature at least one headline, a uh, newspaper headline, whether it be in the United States or from the world that has to do with safety. Sometimes those will be pretty typical headlines, but most of the time they're going to be pretty extraordinary, almost like I can't believe somebody wrote this, or this is actually a thing, this is actually happening headline. And I'm, I'm going to take what's provided in that headline and, and the subsequent article, and we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, I might go in and do a little bit of research in the background, but part of me isn't real keen on doing too much research into the articles for the very fact that school safety is influenced by strongly by the media, strongly by, by headlines, what we hear. So I want to take what's available at face value and then um, kind of break it down from there without digging in a lot behind the scenes, just so we can see how hysteria really paints the picture of school safety. I say that with a safety, being very safety conscious and very serious about safety, but at the same time, uh, we are definitely being um, steered in a path of being way, way over the top in our perceptions of uh, school violence, uh, prevalence of school violence, and then also this tendency to start profiling um, individuals. And, and I'll, I'll touch on those things. But here we are, the safety doc. We're three minutes in. And the facts I want to talk about come from a study. Uh, the study is from the National Institute of Health um, right here. So, of course, all of those uh, people on SoundCloud right now are like, what's happening? And I'm like, okay, I'm holding up the study that I printed out. Um, this one is from September of 2013. It was... Um, 
authored by Joyce Lacey from the Department of Psychology at Azusa Pacific University in California, and also Craig Stark from the Center for the Neurobiology of Learning and Memory in the Department of Neurobiology and Behavioral Univ and, and Behavior at the University of California in Irvine. So um, both of those authors contributed to this work. The title is called The Neuroscience of Memory, Implications for the Courtroom. And this is extremely, extremely relevant with various facts when it comes to just how reliable is our memory. Um, and we'd be surprised. So when we talk about safety, when we talk about safety, and when we have safety drills, and especially these very um, ultra-realistic, drama-filled drills of active shooter, of people lying in the hallways if they've been shot, and all of those types of things, um, you know, even, even when we have uh, things like safety of, of the mock car crashes, and, and um, you know, we, we expect that that's going to have this huge impact. And not that those things don't have an impact, but... Let me share some stats with you from this study, which then was kind of a meta-analysis to some extent. What that means is it looked at other studies and then incorporate those within, within this study. So this is, this is what I would call hardcore research I've gone through. I've looked at their study design. Um, this isn't something you're going to find in Newsweek magazine or on a few pages in Reader's Digest. But... Um, a couple facts to throw out there. Again, that's our purpose here in the safety doc is to make you more informed about uh, school safety, about safety in general, personal safety, how to um, increase your own safety and to make informed decisions about the safety of others, especially if you're a parent and you have children and children that are attending schools. Um, so, from the study, people are unable to retrieve roughly 50% of the information that they hear one hour after encoding that information. So if you're watching this right now, one hour from now, one hour from now, you would be able to recall 50% of what you encoded from this presentation. doesn't mean you're recalling 50% of this presentation. It means what you are, are taking out of this right now and committing to memory in an hour, half of that's going to be gone. It's called the forgetting curve. It's factual. It exists. These things come into play big time, too, into eyewitness accounts and into um, bullying investigations. So we place a lot on memory, especially in the courtroom. You know, um, and, and that's being looked at more and more through other studies of how much should we place our, uh, you know, value on memory and recall of an event. And now that we have things like, you know, cameras, wearable camera, cameras that bring in a, a factual objective, um, I, I guess, view of that. I don't know if it brings in the context, but at least there's some things that, that you, you couldn't dispute over time. Um, but think about that. So right now, whatever I've told you an hour from now, you know, that, that soaked in 50, 50% of that gone, gone. That's a fact happens to everybody, pretty much everybody. So 
in studies of college students, you're thinking college students are going to they're going to know the answers to this because they're facing this all the time. Um, Fifty-four percent of college students were able to identify factors that influence memory, and I believe it was like three factors. So, so it's like, okay, tell me three things that influence your your memory. So, I mean, you know, stress, sleep. Um, whether I'm hungry or not, whether it's noisy, I mean, things like that. But 54% of college students were able to provide um, that minimum requirement. I think it was three things. That's it, 54%. So um, the general population was able to do that, was able to provide um, at least, you know, three items, less than 50% of the time. So people... You know, it's one of these things. You talk about term, terminology. What is what is memory? What contributes to memory? And then you start to ask people specific questions of saying, okay, so like what really does contribute to, you know, uh, memory? What 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 helps you to remember things or, or not to remember things? And then people are like, I, don't, I didn't really think about it, you know? Um, I teach a class, special education class, and we get into the terms of inclusion and mainstreaming. And those are two very different things, although they're, you throw those out at, at face value and a lot of people think they're the same thing. But yeah, there's a lot that impacts memory. So the, it, if you were to go in and do your due diligence on what contributes to memory, I think you know that's worth your time to do because right now what I've told you is, you know, we are not very proficient as at humans with memory. So anything you can do as a means to increase your memory, even 10%, um, is going to imagine the benefit that's going to yield to you. So I don't have that information um, in this podcast to share. But again, it's something that I'm putting out there that you could go in like www.jurnjourn.org research um, articles, a lot of them are recently completed dissertations and, and find some information of, hey, what actually helps memory? So memory, we talk about safety and memory. When you're going through safety drills in school, um, the more you go through drills and drills with fidelity, you get kind of that muscle memory or you understand the routine and that, that comes into play. But these simulations that go on, these highly ultra-realistic graphic simulations that have this visceral response. Again, I've talked about it in podcast number one. Um, you would think the premise behind that might be, well, that's going to stick with you. You know, so you're going to recognize those feelings and, and you're, you're going to then be able to process if that happens. No, that's not the way it works. That's, that's not the way that it works. Um, so if we think of an event, I'm pulling this from the article, the research study, if we think of an, an event should have happened in a certain way on the, on the basis of other previous experiences, we are likely to think the event did happen that way. That's something that's, that's very important in memory recall. Um, let's say it is, it's uh, bullying uh, that's happening in, in a school, bullying, uh, which I consider to be a safety concern because it's, it does put students at psychological safety and, and physical um, safety risk. But um, if, if you think that this student um, what, you know, came up to you and, and pushed you down or, or pushed somebody else down, if you've seen that in the past, if you see that on TV, 
you know, and, and or you know that the the bully, um, you know, was was forcing the student to eat some kind of uh, food or something. You know, like we see that in the diary of a wimpy kid. Or I mean, you see these things. If you expect that that's going to happen, that's probably when you start telling of your your interviewed what really happened. You know, what happened? Tell us what happened. You're going to start saying these types of things because they fit the narrative in your mind of what you expected to happen of the of these confrontations. So memory is really, really not reliable. Um, and that's why it's important immediately to do interviews. And if there's a safety situation where a student makes a threat against to harm himself or herself or others, immediately gather up as much information as you can. Who did you say that to? What were some other people around? Separate them out. Take note cards. Have them write down what they heard. Try to look for anything on social media, things like that. Um, and, and not that you're getting people together to try to come up with like one answer of, of, okay, five students, what did you hear this one student say? No, that they, they go apart because otherwise you have group think going on. Everybody tries to then come up with, you know, Let's, let's give a response that we think the principal or think the investigator wants to hear. So that's another thing. Um, you know, uh, people, people will, here, research that specifically examines eyewitness testimony of the memory of traumatic events. Traumatic events. So again, think of that, uh, that ultra-realistic school shooter drill. Um, they've shown weak or negative correlations between a person's confidence and the accuracy of a memory and the actual accuracy of that memory. So you might ask someone, um, what happened when that intruder came in the school, you know, if they're part of the drill. So um, they're not going to, they're not going to remember that any better than if you had a discussion about it. And again, you're still going to have that forgetting curve where the memory is going to change over, over time. Um, so it's that that posts identification feedback. The, the, these things, um, time is really of the essence. Whenever you're getting feedback of a of a threat, the longer you wait on that, uh, the less reliable that's that's going to be. Insignificantly, um, memory distortions can also occur with the passage of time and the repeated uh, recounting of an event. So the more you interview somebody about something over time, the more they're going to start to twist what they say just because they might have said something in one interview where they had one piece of information. And then, you know, also they think about it, they process it. Something else happens in their life between the time you, you interviewed them and, and now, and now they incorporate that. So um, both mundane and flashback Flashbulb memories, I should say. So mundane, you know, something mundane every, you know, during lunch, it, you know, it does this one student tend to, you know, push others, you know, out of the lunch line, you know, it's every day something mundane. Or that flashbulb, like, oh, remember like that active shooter drill where like a person was running up and down the hallway and banging on the door. Those two things, um, they're susceptible to distortion over time. An example is um, United States citizens recalling when they first heard about the attacks um, on, on the Twin Towers. And the memory of those details changed 43% over three years. 43% over three years. So what I'm, what I'm trying to get at through this study, and I'll post the link to this, this study, is that um, 
if you're trying to use kind of this this one dramatic event approach to practice to to educate about school safety about trauma and all of this it's not going to work and uh, you're going to traumatize people but you're not going to have that memory and that lasting effect it's not going to be there your forgetting curve is going to kick in you're much more efficient to do drills and to do drills repeatedly and over time where people understand um, what the drill purpose is. They actually like go, I've read something, I don't know what it was, like Ohio, like they're doing fire drills and people aren't leaving the buildings. Well, that's not muscle memory. I mean, you know, if they're fire drill, get up, leave the building. I mean, it just should be part of it. So, um, but I don't think any of us coming, coming into this, I mean, and I, I didn't until I really went through this study, I, I would have guessed that our, our memory was better than, you know, an average of 50%. And they looked at different groups, you know, like uh, people in the military, people in different careers and things like that. And, and really memory didn't, <laughs> didn't improve a lot per, um, per what your career choice was. Um, so really interesting stuff. So whatever we talked about here for 17 minutes of this, an hour from now, um, what you've you've committed to memory, half of that's going to be gone. Think about that. Think about that from a safety standpoint when you are teaching safety to people. I had uh, safety training I went through recently, and with it came a, a binder, and it was like a half inch, and, you know, like 10 font uh, italics text or whatever. I mean, too much, like too much. Even if you read through the whole thing, you're going to not recall half of it in a short amount of time anyway. So when you talk about safety, be concrete, concise, and practice. And don't you, you don't need to scare people and make people have this feeling of fear, that mundane versus that flashbulb event. You just need to educate people and have fidelity in your, your drill schedule. So as a little note here, um, I do not have an MP3 player in my vehicle. So what I have is I bought this Galaxy S5 player off of eBay um, at a very reasonable price and then put a memory card in it. And then I got this little doodad. I don't even know what it's called here, but it has a cord that comes out, plugs into this guy right here. And then um, this charges, both of these charge um, on the same charger, yay. And uh, I have then my own MP3 player. So I have like 16 gig. I listen to podcasts mostly or almost exclusively. And uh, this, this does a nice job. The whole deal here was probably about $40. So um, kind of a neat, a neat thing here. And this little can will fit right into where a cup holder is. So that's neat. Um, Let's move to our next section, which is dun 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 dun. Headlines, 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 headlines. All right, that was really awesome. If you're listening on SoundCloud, it was not as awesome if you're watching right now. But headlines, I have one headline I want to share. Wow, this one is a stunner. It's out of the Mercury, which is in Australia, a newspaper. And uh, I actually, I, 
this thing threw me off so much I had to go and check if there were other articles similar in other newspapers in Australia. And, and there were. This, this, this is legit. So here it is, the, the first part of the article. Um, it's interesting that they, they show this guy's face and they blur out this lady's face when this entire article should be blurred out. It's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. But the, the title of the article, it, it, first of all, um, it's by Nick Clark from the uh, Sunday Tasmanian. Uh, so, I mean, that sounds cool. But November 5th, 2016, and the article is Safe Schools Program Disgusting, says former MP Brett Whiteley. So MP, I'm guessing, is their, their, um, that is their prime minister or... But... Um, Oh my goodness. So let me do this again. Safe Schools Program Disgusting, says former MP Brett Whiteley. And I'm just going to read a part of this and then we'll talk about it. So this is a headline. So imagine if you're in, in the, it's the community, this Tasmania, or community where, where this is published, the Mercury here in Australia. Um, former uh, Braden MP Brett Whiteley has labeled a safe schools program a disgusting program, a political activist tool with a radical left-wing agenda. Well, at least you're honest. I mean, there's no parsing there of <laughs> how you feel about this, uh, Brett. Um, Mr. Whiteley was speaking at the Liberals State Council today in favor of a motion that the federal and state governments abolish the safe school program. Yep, nothing like getting rid of everything to fix the problem. Uh, he said that when a group of politicians reviewed the program, a group of politicians reviewed the program. Um, witnesses had to be in the room to ensure that allegations of pedophilia did not result from examination of the websites linked to the program. Wow. So I haven't seen this program, and I'm not trying to hunt it out and, and link it out again. We're here to take kind of the surface look at these articles because these are the articles then that people will say, did you see what was on the front page of the Tasmanian yesterday? And, and then those discussions get started and, and people form their positions. So I'm going to take what's here and then I'm going to interject some things that, that I know on safety in general and, and um, school safety programs. So, um, this is this is just absolutely crazy stuff. So, um, in defense, uh, the education minister uh, Jeremy Rockliffe had told members that the program had been rolled out in 20 schools in Tasmania and it was going very well. Um, that the school signed up and they were doing it in a responsible way. So, um, this this is just in to me. Um, and I'm measuring my words here. Um, this is very frightening. There's a statement from uh, Green's education spokesperson, Andrea Dawkins, said passing this motion sends a frightening message to the LGBTI Tasmanians, their friends, families, and school communities. It's clear that the Tasmanian Liberal Party does not and will not support them. Whoa. Whoa. Okay. First of all, um, I, 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 I'm taken back by this article because uh, to have a position where basically now you're, you're saying that 
some uh, this the safe schools program first of all there needs to be more we, we need to understand it more um, but it sounds like there's profiling going on um, right as I read through this and it kind of mentioned um, but it, it, it does it, it seems like this is an attempt and how they're defining safe schools is very intriguing to me because safe schools to me um, really comes down to a different topic than what they're talking about. And I, I mean, what they're talking about is kind of all over the place. And this was the this more sensible of the articles I pulled up on this. Some of them got got really, I thought, kind of raw. And but let's step back. Imagine if you're a a, a, a student, you know, who identifies with LG, um, uh, you know, the the greater LG community. I I, I don't want to get into all of that because I'm in transgender. I'm, I would leave something out. I'd be I'd be it wouldn't be um, inclusive, just but um, by accident. But right away, it's like, oh my goodness! Like, do I feel safe sending my child to the school where the administrators are really saying the school's not welcoming to everyone? That's not really what we're here for. We're here to educate this group, and if you're not in this group, then and here's a curriculum that was developed, and it sounds like. Um, it's it's really I mean the safe school curriculum is just getting slammed and like get rid of the whole thing I don't know what the whole thing is but wow so I'm thinking there's parts of this that need a greater emphasis and what the two parts would be tolerance and acceptance and there's a difference and I teach this in a class I teach this in a class so not mentioned in the article but first of all there's no tolerance here there's no the tolerance and tolerance is a basement level threshold it is. I mean, if if you tolerate something, that's a basement level threshold. That's the bare, bare minimum. And we have these campaigns in the States, teach tolerance. I'm like, no, I mean, that's, you're better than that. You teach acceptance. You don't teach tolerance. I mean, if you teach tolerance, tolerance means I don't have to get to know you. I don't have to get to know your culture. I don't need to get to know your context, my greater context, I just need to know that if I walk down the street and I see you and, um, you know, you're of a different race or a different religion and whatever, you know, I don't have to look at you. I can just walk right by you. As long as I don't knock you to the ground or yell at you or anything, I'm tolerant and I'm, I've met the, the teaching tolerance requirement. Crazy, right? Crazy. So, no. This is, I mean, this isn't even tolerance what's going on here in Tasmania. Um, but you, teaching tolerance is one thing, but we should be teaching acceptance. And I go to this and I'm like, this program really needs to retool itself and to get down and to talk about tolerance and acceptance um, of everybody. Because it's not all, <laughs> this is so profiling. I mean, is it? Now, students with disabilities, where would they fall in this? If you're a socioeconomic, a poor student, a rich student, where do you fall into this? A country student, if you're a city student. I mean, you're, you're, you're really starting to, to, again, put people into compartments, almost pathologize where you, everybody has a label. It's crazy. But let's come back to acceptance. You're teaching acceptance. Acceptance means, acceptance means, that 
You're then teaching how to understand somebody else's perspective, the context, situation, get to know them. You can teach questions on how to get to know them. You can expose them to cultures, to cultural things. Now, I don't want to also go overboard on this. I want to be very distinct in saying um, you, acceptance doesn't mean you have to agree. You don't have to agree with somebody. Acceptance, though, means that you're intellectually informed, that you're intellectually informed. And you're willing then to change your position based upon that information. Um, but you don't have to change your position. You can, it's, it's, an, it's this whole thing with, with just arguments in general. Think of, of, you know, we know that, you know, we thought for how long that, you know, Pluto was a planet. Well, then new information comes out to the scientific community and then pretty soon, is it a planet or isn't it a planet? Well, you know, new information, and it's actually classified now as, you know, whatever, something else. So you've, you've taken information, new information, and changed then your position. Now, some people might say, it's still a planet. We're still classifying as a planet. Well, then fine, you know, that's fine. But at least you know, like, this is the information that's come out. So it's, there's so much in here that should be focusing on, and they need to start with tolerance. They need to start with tolerance. That's the first thing. And then move into acceptance. And I'll say this again, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a lot off of this article. I did research this a little deeper because again, it was so out there that I was like, is this just one board meeting that went bad for some reason? But no, this, wow, wow. Um, again, Tasmania, Australia. So teaching tolerance, teaching acceptance. What does this all have to do with safety? Um, imagine that if you have students that feel that school's not safe for them or they're not they're disconnected that staff isn't listening uh, to them they don't have a voice and suddenly you create students who might not want to come to school who lose that sense of connectedness in 2009 the Centers for Disease Control CDC you can google it pull it up it's a little bit dated but it's still relevant and came out with a study indicating Number one impact on school safety was kids feeling connected to school. If they felt connected to school, connected to their teachers, there were all these metrics then that had a positive line, you know, such as um, better attendance, you know, better grades, participating in extracurricular, you know, activities and, and things like that. Um, less use of, of drugs, less use of tobacco, less violence. So there are, you know, definite research bases to help um, what's happening here in Tasmania. But this is what happens when you have hysteria that takes over. And the fact that this was allowed to become a headline that was so significant that it made it through my filters, which only give me about 10 headlines a day, and most of them are U.S. Um, it, it, to make it through the filters to come up on as one of my headlines, it just blew me away. And then to go in and to find that other headlines um, you know, this is a compromise to safety. You're also now having students, if they're aware of threat situations in that school, are they going to come forward and share that if they've already been marginalized? No, they're not going to do it because they're not going to trust the school to have their back, to have their interest. So um, there's many, many rippling effects to the Safe Schools Program Disgusting, says former MP Brett Whiteley article. 
out of the November uh, 5th, 2016 Sunday Tasmanian uh, by Nick Clark, and I'll link that out. So, hey, we are getting up here a little past our 30-minute mark. I do want to keep this between 30 and 40 minutes. Um, I do thank you for following me on SoundCloud, and I don't have any followers yet here for this on YouTube. Please subscribe and share with others and get on Facebook and share. I've, I've gained a number of Twitter followers. I thank you for that. At SafetyPhD. That's me. You can find me and follow me. Any Anything you can do um, to help promote uh, this podcast would be appreciated. So have a great week. And as we say at the end, but before we say it, let's talk quickly here. Sprigio, Sprigio, S-P-R-I-G-E-O, Sprigio.com, uh, safety leader in the United States in threat reporting, and then also educating students about bullying, what is bullying, what isn't, how to report bullying, working with administrators on school culture um, out of Santa Barbara, California, but across half the United States. Sprigio.com, a wonderful safety organization. If it's not in your school, not in your kid's school, ask, please ask your administrator to look into Sprigio. Very affordable, very effective solid database, extremely user-friendly for administrators. Sprigio, in part, helps support this podcast. Helps uh, Joe, their CEO, helps to get me some information, which is very relevant to my research in school safety. Um, it is his life's work and his passion. Uh, so again, Sprigio, S-P-R-I-G-E-O.com. We will have a graphic up. Um, and make sure that you, you check them out. If they're not in your school, just inquire, hey, why not? Let's take a look. So stay safe. I will be back next week. Thank you.